Hello again, it's Schopenhauer and Hegel today in co-philosophy. Here's an old post pertaining to their issues from last April. We're into the 19th century with Hegel and Robert Stern on Hegel's dialectic and his arch-rival Schopenhauer, a pair of audacious Hun metaphysicians who presumed to speak grandly for reality with a capital R. What's real, if you ask me? Younger daughter's home pitching debut for her new school resulted in a 15-3 win the other day. That was back in April. As she chipped in another triple and a beautiful scoring line drive to support her own cause. Later, older daughter phoned home from college with news that she'd been recognized for excelling in both cinema and oratory. That's reality. I don't need a theory to tell me so. But Hegel and... Schopenhauer thought otherwise. And I guess I should add, KC's World Series win yesterday, that's real too, even though some would say it's only a game. But it's a game that exhibits qualities of character worth noting and applauding. And here come the Germans now, led by their skipper, Nobby Hegel, <laughs> who, as far as I know, did not play football, but maybe he did. But I know he didn't play it the way the Pythons did with uh, Nietzsche, the referee. Hegel was the ultimate optimist. Schopenhauer, the uber-pessimist. I prefer to split the difference with meliorism myself. More on that later. And in fact, we talked about that just the other day, this fall. They're both in the song, Schopenhauer and Hegel, if that helps. The Python philosopher's song. Let's see, Schopenhauer and Hegel were both outconsumed by David Hume, etc., but it would probably be more helpful to relate the Germans to their predecessor, Kant. Schopenhauer and Hegel tried to go beyond Kant's proscription against specifying the thing in itself, the ultimate noumenal reality beneath the appearances. For Hegel, history's the thing. For Schopenhauer, it's will. An amusing sidelight, in spite of himself and his intent to renounce personal will so as to starve ultimate will, or at least deprive it, Schopenhauer was stubbornly competitive with his philosophical rival Hegel. He insisted on lecturing at the same time as the more popular Hegel with predictable results, namely an empty classroom. But you have to wonder if his auditors understood a word Hegel said. Maybe free gas was provided? See William James's observations on the effects of nitrous oxide gas intoxication and his essay on some Hegelism. Sounds like nonsense, but is pure nonsense, said the uh, inebriated James in his attempt to make sense of the phenomenology of spirit. That's funny, but not entirely fair. Hegel wanted to fly with Minerva through a glorious dawn. Any, any given snippet of Hegelian prose may be impenetrable, but his overall objective is clear enough. He wanted us to understand ourselves and our lives as active participants in the great progressive unfolding of history, of the coming to consciousness of spirit, or Geist, and of the birth of enlightenment and freedom. Friendly aspirations all. My old Mizzou prof often spoke of friend Hegel. That was Professor von Schoenborn at the University of Missouri. And so did Michael Prouse, who said, to the degree that we are thinking beings, Hegel says, we have to consider ourselves as part of a larger whole and not as neatly individuated. He calls this mental whole geist or spirit and tries to work out the rules by which it develops through time. 
Hegel didn't regard Geist as something that stands apart from or above human individuals. He saw it, rather, as the forms of thought that are re realized in human minds. What Hegel does better than most philosophers is explain how individuals are linked together and why it's important to commit ourselves to the pursuit of the general or common good. And that's why, as Stern points out, Hegel thinks that one important movement in history is the movement from thinking that just one of us is entitled to freedom, a king, say, to some, the patricians of ancient Athens, to all, where obviously this development relates to changing views of what freedom is, what we are, how we relate to one another. I'm not free unless I'm working for the good of society. That's not Schopenhauer's view, nor is it even remotely close to his mindset and general sensibility. Anything at all ambitious, let alone something as grand as the liberation of society and triumph of good, was to him just one more fuel for the will. Just more fuel for the will. Will is a voracious, never sated, all-devouring blind force or power that uses us and everything else in its path to no end beyond its own perpetuation and expansion. Moreover, Schopenhauer was morose and constitutionally disaffected. He despised happiness as a form of self-delusion. But I have to admit, for such an old sourpuss, Schopenhauer's a lot of fun to read. His aphoristic art of controversy is a good place to begin. He says the average man pursues the shadow of happiness with unwearied labor, and the thinker the shadow of truth, and both, through though phantoms are all they have, possessing them as much as they can grasp. Life is a language in which certain truths are conveyed to us. Could we learn them in some other way, we should not live. Thus it is that wise sayings and prudential maxims will never make up for the lack of experience or be a substitute for life itself. And his studies in pessimism are oddly cheerful. One of the lesser known but more intriguing facets of Schopenhauer's philosophy was his belief that music is our point of entree to will and to ultimate reality. Schopenhauer, like Rousseau, loved his dog, so maybe he knew a little something about love. Talk to you later.